Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Coming up on today's show, a bunch of new games were announced and E3 2022 is officially canceled. Welcome to another episode of the What's Good Games podcast, your source for video game news, commentary, analysis, and funny stuff every Friday. I am Andrea Renee, joined by one very sad panda known as Brittany Brombacher. Hello, I'm Brittany Brombacher, a sad panda. I don't know if pandas would sound like that. Hi, hello, Andrea. Hi. See you. You're looking very springy and colorful. Oh, thank you. It's a weird heat wave happening right now. I know lots of parts of the country are feeling it, but it's 93 degrees here in Los Angeles. I was all excited because it got to 62 today. (laughs) It's uncomfortably hot for this time of year, but I said, you know what this means? Sun's out, gun's out. Oh, yeah, girl. Show us your baby carrying weapons. Ah, thank you. Yes, I'm rocking my black milk sleeveless Super Mario warp pipe piranha plant shirt. Wow, that's a very long title, but it's a very kick-ass shirt. I've always liked that on you. Thank you. I'm positive that's not the official name of this shirt, but <laughs> I was just trying to be as descriptive as possible for all of our job. podcast listeners out there. Speaking of which, thank you so much for joining us, everybody, whether it's your first episode or your 270th episode. We are glad that you are here. And a special shout out and thank you to this month's Patreon producers, Chewie's Godson, Alex Rogopoulos, David Icolucci, Ferris Atiyah, Justin Foshi, Matthew Godera, and Punctified. Thank you so much for supporting our show and our voices in video games. And welcome to our Patreon community, Felix Co. Nice to have you, Felix. If you want to help support What's Good Games, you can do so at patreon.com slash what's good games. If you don't have monetary ways to support the show, that's totally okay. We get it. Times are tough right now. But hopefully you've got a few minutes of your day to throw us a five-star review like this new podcast reviewer. Daryl 766. Thank you, Daryl. Daryl, I want to give you a special shout out this week because you offset. We haven't gotten a one star review in a long time, Andrea, but we got one this week and it was the TLDR on it is because we swear too much and talk about adult themes. Wow. You know, well, you it's know, not it's like for everybody. We're in our 30s and we're adults, you know? Yeah, Just, we, I you know, feel we're like not- we're pretty open about the fact that the show is a. Uh, mature themed show we obviously talk about video games which is a universal medium that people of all ages can enjoy and love but we you know don't pussyfoot around the fact that we you know (laughs) make butt jokes quite frequently (laughs) yeah it's true you know we also did make a list recently that i talked about on twitter um top podcasts for teenagers to listen at bedtime something along those lines that is that is weird i'm just calling it out that is a choice 
it's something we get. We get these weird list nominations all the time. I think it's because people see we're women and they're like, oh, they must be so nice and nurturing and talk about fuzzy teddy bears and battle slumber parties and shit. And it's like, oh no, clearly you have not listened to our show. But hey, listen to you, little Sally, or you, little Robert, listening to our show, tucked into your wee little bed with your little teddy bear at night, listening to me and Andrea and particularly me talking about all the things I want to bang. I hope you have sweet dreams. Could yeah. be nightmare material. Who could say? Hopefully not. Uh, especially yeah. this week's show, not nightmare material. We've got lots of fun no. announcements. I mean, there is a bummer, right? The E3 bummer, which we'll talk about in detail in a little bit. But we do have some really fun news to talk about. So let's go ahead and dive right in. But I want to say thank you to MeUndies, HelloFresh, and ExpressVPN for sponsoring this week's show. And I'll tell you more about them in just a little bit. Up first, a brand new Tomb Raider game is in development and it's on the recently released Unreal Engine 5. So this announcement came from IGN, and it says that Crystal Dynamics has announced a new Tomb Raider and revealed, of course, that it is being built on Unreal 5. During the game announcement, um, well, it came during the State of Unreal 22, a live stream that happened earlier this week. Crystal Dynamics Tomb Raider franchise general manager Dallas Dickinson promised a high-quality cinematic action-adventure experience but showed no gameplay or images and didn't reveal a window or a title for this game. And by window, I mean a release window. But he did say that the team is looking to push the envelope of fidelity and looking to create an experience that fans deserve from Crystal Dynamics and Tomb Raider as a series. So if you guys remember the last Tomb Raider game that came out, Shadow of the Tomb Raider was back in 2018. I really enjoyed that game. Yeah. You know, I never finished that one, actually. I did enjoy it. But I never finished it. I did finish the other two. I'm I'm hopeful for this. I was just thinking about it. And the reason I think I didn't finish the last Tomb Raider was after playing the first one and the second one, it just felt too much of the same. And granted, we do see a lot of character development with Lara. At least I feel, feel like I remember we did throughout those three games. But I'm, I'm excited for this. I feel like this is going to be a good chance for a reboot. Maybe change the themes of the game a little bit. Maybe this is when she kind of becomes more of a that badass that you remember from the old PlayStation games. You know, where her little, like, tiny tank top and her little booty shorts and her boots or whatever. Her polygon tits. I don't care. Just, like, I'm looking for some maybe of that her wackiness of, like... Tits. I mean, those bitches could poke some eyes out. I'm sorry. Yeah, classic. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, like I I enjoyed those last three games in the reboot trilogy, but now I'm wanting something a little, a little different, you know, Um, something maybe with a little bit, maybe darker, maybe more, I don't know, something from Laura, I feel like just something a little more edgy. I see what you're saying. I really enjoyed these games because I think what they did is they made them really accessible. I particularly loved in the trilogy, and we're watching a little bit of the trailer from the Definitive Edition, which came out um, a while ago, is that they kind of really gave you these toggle options with different parts of the gameplay. So for combat, you could choose, you know, do you want really intense combat experiences or do you want more story-based? Same for exploration and same for the puzzles. And I think that's what made this game really great is that you could kind of build and customize the way you wanted to play on top of the fact that it looked gorgeous. But I agree, narratively, there was a couple issues with the game and I think people, you know, always have pointed to the Tomb Raider franchise as something that 
is like, well, are we supposed to really believe that Lara is this gruesome murderer <laughs> running through the jungle just mowing, mowing people down? And then we're supposed to care that she is vulnerable in some ways. And, you know, I'm not going to get into like a essay on the narrative <laughs> merits of the franchise overall, except to say that I have a lot of fun when I play these games. And I think Crystal Dynamics has put out some really fun action-adventure games. Are they like 10 out of 10s? No. But they're good popcorn video games, for you know, lack of a better phrase. Agreed. And Javin Mather, I feel like we already answered your question. Sorry, friend. But your question was, what would you like to see Crystal Dynamics do with Lara as a character or the gameplay to yet again breathe new life into the series? Well, I think that if they really wanted to breathe new life into the series, they could either take a page from Naughty Dog and the Uncharted franchise and focus more on the narrative and making it feel, you know, um, a little bit more immersive. I think that there's just so many parts of it that are too mythical and it's hard to really kind of base a lot of it in reality. And Laura sometimes seems a little bit too much like a superhero kind of character so they could go that direction go like the naughty dog direction or they could take a page out of from software's playbook and go more elden ring and say hey we want this to be more exploratory and less handholdy and really put lara on an adventure but it's tough because as we discussed you know with isla last week that i think one of the things that's really great about what elden ring does is that it's not really ham-fisted with its narrative its narrative style is very different so i think that that might be too far of a direction to go so did mm -hmm. you giggle because i said ham-fisted yeah. or because you were frozen Oh, because I was frozen, but <laughs> hand-fisted's pretty fucking good, too. I, I'm totally into that. Yeah, you know, and there's that con there's that comparison, at least I can't help but make, and I know it's not totally fair, so don't at me, um, of Uncharted and Tomb Raider, right? Like, you can't help but just think mm -hmm. of the two. And I think about the Uncharted games, and I can play those games back to back to back and never feel bored, never feel burnt out. And it is because I, like you said, so heavily focused on the narrative, and I think Nate as a character, you know, he's always has something funny to say. I mean, I like Nathan Drake and a lot of people have problems with him for some of the same reasons that you're talking about with people, why people have problems with Laura. Like he's a murderer. He's killed kajillions of people, but we're supposed to like empathize with him. It's weird. No essay here, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but also like, I feel like Uncharted also has a lot more characters within its story that you're always interacting with. It never feels dull. So high action. Or yeah, because it's kind of straddling the games as we know them right now is straddling this line of like, is it action is it exploratory like what is it yeah and i think that's kind of why i burned out so i would like to see them lean more into the uncharted naughty dog style but you know we'll just have to see either way the hair physics are going to be fucking unreal true they could also oh. go breath of the wild legend of zelda style and really invest in making the tombs like a traditional puzzle-based dungeon even more so than they did because i think that was a big criticism that this new trilogy got was that the tombs didn't feel challenging enough or mm. different enough. And I know that in the third one, in Shadow of the Tomb Raider, they put more effort into the tombs feeling more atmospheric and having more puzzle-based elements. But if they made the, the tombs like truly dungeon-like in the old school sense, I think that could really get people in too. That'd be sick. Also, I'm sad you didn't laugh at my unreal joke. Oh, sorry. My bad. I just let you down, Britt. Mm -hmm. That's okay. I hate you it's, you fine. Down. <clears throat> it's fine. I'm sorry. It's fine. <gasps> we'll talk a little bit more about Unreal in just a few minutes. 
But another game that was announced this week, taking, I think, a lot of the internet by surprise, Return to Monkey Island has been confirmed by Ron (laughs) Gilbert as real, and it's slated for 2022. Brittany, what's the scoop on this? The scoop, Andrea Renee, this is why you can't trust those dang old game devs. So April 1st of this year, Ron Gilbert wrote on his blog, which is called The Grumpy Gamer, that he was like, yo, April Fool's is stupid, but anyway, I'm making a new Monkey Island game. And everyone was like, oh, well, ha, ha, ha. And then turns out he was telling the truth. You know, you, can't, you just can't trust these people. But anyway, so Gilbert did say as well that the game has been in development for roughly two years by the team at Terrible Toy Box, which also worked on the 2017 adventure game Thimbleweed Park, which I actually really enjoyed. But Terrible Toy Box has picked up a notable new partner this time around, Dave Grossman? Grossman? I don't know. I don't want to say Grossman. I don't know either. I'm going to say Grossman then. Who co-wrote and co-designed many legendary point-and-click games at LucasArts, including the first two Monkey Island titles. Other familiar names include Dominic Armato, who reprised the role of Guy Brush Threepwood, and the original LucasArts musicians who will provide the game's score. And then it kind of goes into a little blurb about what Monkey Island is. Uh, This is really... I'm really excited for everybody who's excited. Let me just put it that way. I know this is something people have wanted for a very long time, including one Christine Steimer, who I wish was here to talk about it. Yes. Ah, <sighs> uh, Stein time. Yeah, so it was funny because obviously I've talked on the show before, but I will say it again that my husband works at Disney and of course works with Lucasfilm and had a hand in making this announcement happen and making this this whole thing happen. And I he got mad at me because... <laughs> When he told me that the announcement, uh, he's like, you should check Twitter. And I was like, why? And he's like, because the Monkey Island announcement just went live. I was like, what Monkey Island announcement? I was like, did Steimer tweet about it? He was like, excuse me? That's your first reaction? Did Steimer tweet about it? I was like, yeah, obviously. Steimer is like Monkey Island number one fangirl. Poor John. He was so proud of himself. And then there's his wife. But what about Steimer? Uh but this is this is great. I like the old point and click games, and it's fun to watch games like this come out that you know are just kind of revered and have this. I don't know if cult following is the right word, but uh, a lot of people were very very excited about this. A lot of folks never saw this coming, uh, especially since you know literally on April Fool's Day the announcement was like technically made. So just happy for everybody, and you know I'm, I could go for a good point and click game. It's been a hot minute since I've played one. Absolutely. Maybe, I, maybe I definitely really Simon. enjoyed my time with the Monkey Island games, but I'm not good at these adventure games. I, I had so more patience back yeah. then than I do now to play these games. You know, I've talked about how I just love the fast paced nature of modern day FPS and third person action adventure games. And I don't know how they're going to adapt the sensibilities of an old school point and click adventure game into a 2022 video game audience, or if they're even going to try, maybe they're just going to completely make it an homage to this retro style, which I think absolutely still has an audience, but mm-hmm. I think that there's a lot of gamers out there like me who are like, let's go, let's go, let's go. You need to be Oh snappy. yeah, no, that's, that's absolutely me too. And this is one of those games that I don't think I could take a, a review copy of because when there's a, when you have a review copy of a game, friends, before it's released, you have no guides online. Mm-hmm. 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 And I, I think this is something I, I couldn't really... I, I don't have the patience either. I did, though. Was, I was reading, I think it was an article on IGN, how Gilbert wrote something many years ago about if he were to make another Monkey Island, what it would be like. And just to sum it all up, it sounded like it would be ruthless. Like, hardly any hints. 
just make it difficult as all hell. Like the Elden Ring of adventure games, Andrea. And to that I say, you know what? I'm sure there's someone out there who fucking loves that shit. Yeah, in fact, Christine Steimer. But um, maybe you just got to call her up and be like, hey, you want to guest review this game? Like like the good old times? She'd probably (laughs) say yes. I'd hope so. (laughs) If she wasn't busy with her big girl job. I know. Yeah. Well, we will obviously keep an eye on it. It does say 2022. So it's happening sometime this year. I would imagine it's going to be holiday. Um, or, I mean, August, September also could be a good time for that game to come out. I just don't know how far into development they are, but uh, we got your eyes on you, Devolver. Okay, another new game announcement. Well, not new per se. It's another oh. remake. I feel like there's just been a slew of remake announcements lately. Uh, and this one, hot off the press just as we were getting ready to record, mm-hmm. Remedy Entertainment has entered an agreement with Rockstar Games for new Max Payne 1 and 2 projects. So read that carefully, friends. So this is the press release, I should say, from... Remedy. It says Remedy Entertainment. The creators of Max Payne are pleased to announce they will remake, not remaster, remake the iconic Max Payne and Max Payne 2, the fall of Max Payne video games and a new development agreement with Rockstar Games. So I'm going to stop there for a second to say that I really enjoyed Max Payne 3 that Rockstar put out and I never played the original two. So this has me very interested in what this what this is going to look like. The relationship between Remedy and Rockstar Games, according to the press release, dates back to the original release of the critically acclaimed Max Payne and Max Payne 2 and was developed by Remedy and published by Rockstar. Both games left an indelible mark in popular culture, lauded for their neo-noir atmosphere, groundbreaking storytelling, and bullet time gameplay. Um, I do want to give them a nod because a lot of uh, I should say a lot of dev- developers after Max Payne experimented with bullet time. And I think, you know, the Sniper Elite franchise is probably the one that's really successfully done it consistently over the years. But bullet time is this really interesting way to slow down combat. And I think Max Payne really kind of pioneered that. So there is a quote here from Sam Hauser, who is one of the founders of Rockstar Games, talking about how they're big fans of Remedy. And then Max, Bla- Max Payne has always had a special place in our hearts, blah, blah, blah. These are Kissing just each other's know, press. Ass. Yeah, this is press release quotes, you know, <laughs> that you give to like fill out the press release so it doesn't work. It's just like two sentences. And you're like, let's do some paragraph breaks with, with quotes Fluff. from the founders. Um, at the bottom of the press release, it says, Under the development agreement signed today, which is Wednesday for everyone listening to the show, Remedy will develop the games as a single title for PC, PlayStation 5, and Xbox Series X and S using its proprietary Northlight game engine. The game's development budget will be financed by Rockstar Games, the sides of which will be in line with a typical Remedy AAA game production. Under the agreement, Remedy has a royal opportunity after Rockstar Games has recouped its development, marketing, and other costs for distributing and publishing the game. Now, normally we don't get all those details um, in the press Hmm. release, but this originally went live on their investors' website. And then the investors' website crashed because everyone was like, click, 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 click. And then they posted this somewhere else. That's cool. I like that they get the royalties after Rockstar recoups their development, which is good because Andrea Rockstar doesn't have a lot of money. So I'm honestly surprised that they're funding this and that you have the audacity to call it a triple A game. (laughs) It's more like an A.5 game. 
you know, you know what I mean. No, but this is Ooh, I, I've never the sarcasm like, sting. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! <laughs> um, I have never played a Max Payne game, so normally I'd love to say that my panties are tight and twisted, but they're just kind of flapping loosely right now. Uh, this is not really a Brit style game. It's not. Okay. Yeah. No. I think you would enjoy it if you went back and played it. And I think a lot of people on the internet were like, yo, but what's happening with Max Payne 3? Why aren't you remastering that? And I think it'll be interesting to see some gameplay from this once they release some. Because, again, I want to highlight that they chose the word remake, not remaster. Mm -hmm. And remake has a very specific connotation a la Resident Evil 2 remake versus Final Fantasy 9 remaster. Oh, I just ouch. had to pick things that you could identify with. Ouch! Ouch! <laughs> yeah, I remember. I remember always seeing the Max Payne box art, and it was black and white, right? And it had like red lettering on it. And you know, back in those days, I was all about the bright and colorful JRPGs. So I was like, meh. Where are the hot husbandos? So, right. but this, you know, as I've gotten older, my tastes have changed. So this might be a good opportunity for me to hop in and meet this Max Payne character. Wow, I just found the Max Payne official trailer. This oh, also says it. Dash E3 2001. Oh, hell um, yes. Which is bonkers. Oh, there we go. A remedy game. Exactly. So E3 2001 also. Oh, my God. That was so long ago. That was so oh. I was in seventh grade. Seventh grade. Okay. Yeah, I definitely. this definitely would not have been my jam back in those days. Yeah, I feel like it's a little bit more like, yeah, crime noir uh, uh, than your uh -huh. style really is. And I know that obviously you enjoy crime-based games a la Yakuza, but <laughs> <laughs> very different kind of a game. Um, so I'm not going to show the whole thing. Let me okay. see if I can get to some gameplay. Here we go. Oh, yeah. Look at these fucking quality PS2 Bullet graphics. time, baby. Oh, yeah. It's like being in the Matrix, but <laughs> you know video what's games. so funny? Like, all the bullet time I've experienced has been post-PS2 when, like, the graphics and the technology are just, like, way more powerhouse-y. So trying to get the dramatic effect watching this from such an old game, it just looks so lame. Yeah. Just, I, like, mean, I mean, like, there's just too many polygons. I was going to say there's too many polygons, but really there's not <laughs> enough. There's not enough polygons is really the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, now it's like it zooms in. The color goes black and white. You can feel a heartbeat, you know, or hear a heartbeat in this one. It's yeah. just like, no, we're just moving real slow. But cool. It's very, I mean, it's very golden eye, right? Yeah. Well, right on. Again, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are very happy about this, and I'm happy for you. I'm interested to see how it's going to look. I think it has the potential to be really, really cool because mm -hmm. I think Remedy showed everybody what they're capable of with control. Yeah. And not that Remedy wasn't doing good stuff before, but I think their games are kind of all over the place as far as gameplay style and aesthetic. And that to me means like, hey, you kind of don't know what to expect from them sometimes, but... I was really pleasantly surprised with how well the gun mechanics and the gunplay was in control. And so I'm excited to see what they're going to what they're gonna do. Yeah. I mean I really like Quantum remake. Break too. That was fun. I liked their stuff recently. Yeah. Good job, well, Making a good name for yourselves. Exactly. Well, we've got some more news for you. But before we do that, we're going to take a short break where we hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we have more to talk about, including that big E3 news and what we've been playing. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
episode of What's Good Games is brought to you by Me Undies. Imagine this scented candles, soothing spa music, a warm but not hot cup of green tea, a fresh pair of comfy undies. These are all important aspects of practicing self care. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole ad in that voice because I don't want you to fall asleep. And I also want to let you know that it's okay if your mind doesn't automatically leap to thinking of underwear as self-care, but maybe it should. After all, undies are the first thing you reach for in the morning, so they literally set the tone for the rest of your day. Lean into loving yourself with the free-to-join MeUndies membership and receive a fresh pair of new underwear delivered right to your door each month hassle-free. I have had the MeUndies membership for my husband, John, for about two years now, and he loves every month when the new pair comes in the mail. He gets to open it, and it's always a surprise what print it is, and it allows him to refresh his underwear collection really regularly, and he just absolutely loves that he doesn't have to think about it, that he has this full underwear drawer now and he never has to go shopping. But sometimes it can feel challenging to take care of yourself in that way. Maybe you haven't thought about membership before, which is why the MeUndies membership was designed to make your life easier with free shipping and returns on every order and savings on virtually everything they make, exclusive sales and early access to their newest stuff. It's the ultimate way to ensure that you start off the day in total comfy bliss. Available in sizes extra small through 4XL with new prints and Dropping monthly, there's always something new to try. Get the super soft undies, bralettes, or socks shipped right to your door and live a more comfortable life. And thank yourself later. Me Undies has a great offer for What's Good Games listeners. For any first-time purchasers, you'll get 15% off. And for a limited time, if you sign up for the free-to-join Me Undies membership, you get 25% off your first membership item. To get 25% off your membership item or 15% off your first order and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to MeUndies.com slash WGG. That's MeUndies.com slash WGG. This episode of What's Good Games is also brought to you by HelloFresh. You've heard us talk about it or seen another ad somewhere and thought to yourself, what is HelloFresh? Well, with HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that, friends, is why it's America's number one meal kit. So ingredients travel from the farm to your doorstep in under a week, so they always arrive fresh, all without a trip to the grocery store and without those pesky delivery app fees. You can pick your favorites from 50 different weekly options and skip weeks when you need to, change your delivery date, or update your preferences all in the HelloFresh app. Customize your favorite dishes with their new Hello Custom offerings by swapping out one protein or side for another, upgrading for a more luxe experience, or even adding protein to a veggie meal. That means more choices, more variety, and more meals truly tailored to you. So actually, that thing I was just talking about, the Hello Custom, that is something that we've been taking a lot of advantage of in the Demers Brombacher household. So for example, I can't eat a lot of pork. It upsets my tummy. And some of my favorite HelloFresh meals have had pork in them. And now I can just swap out the pork and get chicken. And Jason always has to have meat with his meals. And he found a really bomb vegetarian meal with chickpeas and whatnot in it. And he was able to add chicken to it. It's just so convenient. 
And I have to give a shout out to the one pan cheesy beef tortilla melts that I made last week, Andrea. It tasted like a hamburger inside a quesadilla. Um, um, that sounds weird, me? but it was delicious. It sounds amazing. It was effing amazing. So if you want to get your one pan cheesy beef tortilla melts on like I did, you can go to HelloFresh.com slash What's Good 16 and use What's Good 16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Try America's number one meal kit for yourself and help out the show by heading to HelloFresh.com slash What's Good 16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. This episode of What's Good Games is also brought to you by ExpressVPN. Okay, so we all know how ExpressVPN protects your privacy and your security online. I mean, I've been talking about it on this show for a long time now. But here's something that you might not know. You can also use ExpressVPN to unlock movies and shows that are only available in other countries. Sneaky, right? Now, if you're like me, you may have run out of stuff to watch on Netflix or... You may have watched every single episode of Bluey 10 times already, and you're like, where the heck is season three already? Spoilers, it's only available in Australia, which is a bummer, because I really want to watch it. So I had discovered that if I use my ExpressVPN account, boom, I've got new Bluey episodes, until you know it eventually comes to the US, where I will inevitably watch it all again. See, ExpressVPN lets you control where you want sites to think that you're located. You can choose from almost 100 different countries. So just think about all of the Netflix, Hulu, and Disney Plus that you can go through. Now, I know that there are hundreds of VPNs out there, but the reason that I use ExpressVPN to watch shows is because it's ridiculously fast. There's never any buffering or lag, and you can stream it in HD with no problems. ExpressVPN works on all of your devices, your phone, your media console, smartphone, TVs and more and you can watch what you want on the go or on your big screen. So if you guys want access to hundreds of new shows, use our link expressvpn.com slash what's good games and you get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. That's expressvpn.com slash what's good games expressvpn.com slash what's good games to learn more. Welcome back, everybody. It is the part of the show where normally we would dive right into what we are playing, but there's so much news that we have to get to. But before we get to that news, we want to give a big shout out and thank you to our wonderful patrons at patreon.com slash what's good games. Yes, this is the time of the month where Brittany and I go over all of our monthly shout outs. So hopefully you are going to hear your name. And if you want to hear us shout out your name, well, then head on over to patreon.com slash what's good games and click that subscribe button and join our wonderful community there. Well, Brittany, let's kick things off, shall we? With Fargo Brady, Ryan Saffel, Jake Finney, Nathaniel Edison, Bill Rosas, Tyler Adams, Erskine James, Casual Blasphemy, Trick 24, Sean Little, Omega 3, Jason Luck, Marooned at Noon, Daniel Hull, Kevin Brown, Alexandra Devold, Eric Z. Dracos 3442. Aham, she was the nanobiologist. Excess oddities. Al Tribesman. Trent Berry. Sean I. Elizabeth Douglas. Brian R. Johnston. Justin Foshi. Patrick Landry. Punctified. Rob Leanett. Melanthius Owens. Professor Woke. Patrick Higgins. Kenneth Stimmel. 
Even flow. Trent Pennington. Emily Kent. Ferris Atier. Did I say it right? Listen, he just let us know that we always say it wrong. Uh, he was sorry, just like, sorry, friend. Don't worry about it. Mm. <laughs> Jessica Bloom. <laughs> Patrick Weller. Matthew Goddard. Noel Navarez. Tyler McCall. And Joe Wilson. Devin Nitz. Adriana Rock Williams. Shai Jackson Burgess. Rudet Burns. Joseph Bassa. Gary Peck. Dale Sun. Robert F. Frimering. Carl Milner. Marcus Ian Brown. Peach Shoemaker. Bill Stilwell. Teresa Enert. Hazel Nemech. Alex Regopoulos. Enrico N. Kia B. David Icolucci. El Moschel. Gier Corsi. Malay Bittner. Ose Pachia. Nicole Humphrey. Stephanie Fitzwilliam. John Drake. And Trevor Stangang. Thank you, one, and thank you all. And I also want to let you guys know, we did have somebody complain that we gave them their shout-out because they thought it was weird to hear their name on the podcast, which, you know, like, to each their own. If you don't want us to say your name on the podcast, but you want to support us, you can just let us know. We won't read your name. You know, we're happy to exclude you if you would prefer to be anonymous. Or you could also write in your Patreon name, anonymous, or make up some other thing. Clearly, people here have... Because I doubt that uh, even Flo is a government name. But maybe it is. Hey, you never know. Kanye West just changed his name to, like, Yee. Did he? I think he did. Ugh. I think I saw some people talking about that. That sounds like a know. Kanye thing. All right, back yeah. to the news. So the next news story is kind of a bummer, but an important one. And it broke last week after we've already recorded the show. So we didn't get a chance to talk about it. E3 2022 is officially canceled. So this actually didn't come directly from the ESA. It came from Will Powers, actually. And he works for a company called Razer, which makes video game hardware, and had tweeted that they got, and by they I mean partners of the ESA, had gotten uh, an email saying, hey, we're not going to be doing a digital event at all this year either. And then IGN reached out and was like, yo, can we get a confirming statement from you, ESA. And the ESA was like, yep, that's true. We are officially not coming back. Uh, What they did say was that they're going to be returning in 2023 with a, quote, reinvigorated showcase, saying, quote, we will devote all of our energy and resources to delivering a revitalized physical and digital E3 experience next summer. Whether enjoyed from the show floor or your favorite devices, the 2023 showcase will bring the community, media, and industry back together in an all-new format and interactive experience. We look forward to presenting E3 to fans around the world live from Los Angeles in 2023. The ESA added that the 2022 showcase, of course, had been canceled so that the organization can, quote, focus its resources on the 2023 show, which uh, got a little uh, snicker from Brittany. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. Um, okay. I <clears throat> I think that's a whole lot of, of, of BS. Like, here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. E3, I think was destined to become a hot fire, a garbage truck on fire. I say this with love because I really enjoy E3. I've had nothing but lovely times at E3. It's one of my all-time favorite things to do. I look forward to it every year. But I remember before, or I guess it was before the pandemic, wasn't it, Andrew? Remember when that slide jo- that slide deck 
was uh, leaked and there was all that talk about like the influencers and the cutainment they were going to be doing and all the celebrities they were going to be You mean the one that I was in? (laughs) Huh? I was in I was in that leaked deck. Oh, that's right. You were. Jesus, mm-hmm. that feels like a fucking lifetime ago. Yeah. And so I feel like they've been trying to get some sort of new, the ESA has been trying to get some sort of new plan under their belt for some time. And the pandemic keeps happening and I get it. But I feel like it's been a very convenient excuse. <laughs> I mean, that's, I wanted to come back, but I'm almost, I'm pretty, I don't know if scared. I don't want to be dramatic here. I'm curious to know what the future of E3 is going to look like. Is it going to be the E3 that we've at- been attending for 10 years now, or we used to before pandemic? No, I think it's going to look vastly different. I think it's going to be catered more toward the public. We saw that shift happening anyway in the past few years, the fa- last few years of E3 anyway. And uh, I can't. I'm not saying it can't be a good time. It's just how far are they going to lean into like the entertainment side of E3 rather than what we're accustomed to, which is the business side of E3. You know what I mean? And so it's going to be fascinating to see once the show actually comes to fruition where it lands in the middle of everything. Because I feel like Keeley, which you you have here, how he tweeted out that Summer Game Fest will return this June with a new slate of events. They'll be producing another kickoff live show with announcements, news, and f- first looks. That's going to, I think, take the place of the E3 that we've come to know and love. The one that I personally really enjoy from, like, you know, as someone in the industry. Uh, But, yeah, a lot of rambling there, but just kind of, like, speaking my mind freely right now. As you should. And I don't think you're rambling. I think you were just recounting your feelings on it. And I think you and I both lamented the idea that E3, as we know it, is permanently over. And I think it might be. So Jeff Keighley, the executive producer of the Game Awards, started Summer Games Fest in the summer of 2022. He recently held a Twitter Spaces on his account where he talked more in depth about Summer Games Fest, its origination, what his plans are for it. And then some people were asking him, of course, about his thoughts about what's happening with E3. And what I thought was really great about the conversation that he had was he reminded people listening that E3 really originated as a showcase for retailers to come and play the new games that were coming out to decide which games they wanted to feature in their stores at holiday time, particularly around Hmm. Black Friday. And I think a lot of gamers today don't remember that that's why E3 existed and that's why E3 as a business function was such an important part of it. And the ESA really acted as a governing body to be a middleman for businesses and game developers and also to be a legal advocate for the video games industry on Capitol Hill whenever legislation tends to arise that could impact both the development and the selling of video games. So that's a big function of the ESA that I think a lot of people also don't know about. So there's been a lot of talk about like what does E3 mean? Who is it for? And I mean E3 never was for the gamer. E3 was never for the consumer. E3 was always for media and always for industry. And I think that is going to start to fall away a little bit because the way that the industry does business now is different. And that's not just because of the pandemic, but obviously the the pandemic accelerated a lot of virtual business dealings, but it was already moving in that direction. So it was interesting. So Sam from Ars Technica was on Keeley's space and kind of talked to him about 
you know, what E3 used to be and where it's going now. And he hypothesized, and I think a lot of people would agree with him, that E3 was going to have to reinvent itself with or without the pandemic. But the pandemic mm-hmm. kind of gave them a very convenient way to be mm-hmm. like, you know, we're not going to have the show anymore. And Keeley also reminded people that putting on E3 for the publishers is wildly expensive, right? That's why people like EA and PlayStation pulled out of the show and stopped having booths because it was costing them tens of millions of dollars to be inside the convention center during E3. And we're seeing now that a lot of publishers are going their own way. But I also thought Kaylee's point that was really important that I think a lot of other people aren't talking about is that E3 isn't around for the big publishers. E3 is around for the little publishers, for the indies and for the mid-tier publishers because they count on the lift that E3 gives them every year and they can't afford to put on their own showcase. Mm. I mean, I think if we look even at Devolve or Digital Showcase and they're arguably one of the more successful middle to smaller publishers out there and they never were, they never used to be, but they are now, but even they don't put on the style of showcase that we're getting from, you know, Square Enix or Ubisoft and of course the platforms like the Xbox showcase, things like that. So I think that that's something also to put into consideration here. But me as somebody who started out in the video games industry covering E3 was my very first show. It really kind of guts me thinking Mm -hmm. that that experience is done and I'll never have that experience again. And nobody coming up behind me is going to have that experience that I had. The thrill of the show floor opening and the running back and forth between the north and the south halls the <laughs> going into the the dark demo room and filing in these mini theaters and hearing directly from the development team on seeing mm. you know these exclusive gameplay demos and it was exciting i think covering mm-hmm. video games is a really fun field but it can be a slog it's a lot of work and we have talked on the show of course about how people wrongly assume that our job Brittany is just to play video games all day that's all we do it's so easy how do we, how dare we complain about just playing video games and i'm like lol i wish And, you know, I think E3 is a respite for all of us because it it reminds us why we're so passionate. It breaks us out of our day-to-day production workflow and gives us a chance to connect with people in person and also get to interview members of the development team that we never get access to and that we never get to see in person. Mm -hmm. And I'm really disappointed that that could all go away and become a completely different format. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, it just makes me sad. And, you know, before the pandemic, I guess I never really we, – we had talked about the cost of E3. But if you think about it now, and maybe we're just all conditioned this way, it's just fascinating that they would rent out – like Microsoft would rent out the entire theater, right? Just fill it up with tons of people and host a live press conference, you know, live production. And then you're live streaming that. And then Sony did the same thing for a while. Nintendo did the same thing for a while. Square Enix did the same thing for, you know, a while too. And – Looking back on it, it just doesn't make sense to do it that way. Like, I love them so much because I love that energy, especially the Bethesda press conferences. Like, there's nothing like those. The energy inside of those were just, like, absolutely electric. Um, and But now, you know, because I think we're just so <laughs> used to everything just being digital. It's like, oh, well, yeah, why why would they go that route? It's just, I feel like at that point, you're just kind of spending money just for, like, the hype of it, which is like, okay, cool. Yes, but do it. 
But do it. Yeah, but you have it. the money to do it, Microsoft, especially. Like, we're looking at you. Like, listen, uh, I just hope, like, that stuff I, – I hope that's the stuff more than anything that doesn't go away because those are just the moments where you can just really be a fan with your colleagues around you. And just – I think – was it the last E3 that Danny and Paris were sitting in front of us um, – think you had just got back from your surgery I think yeah. it was and yeah and they were you know and I think yeah it was just Danny and Paris there but that was just such a fun moment to that share was the with Keanu them. E3 yes that's it that like, was you're not Keanu gonna Reeves. get that moment from a digital showcase like no, it's not gonna not. have the same punch like obviously yeah. you can bring a celebrity in but like even look what Keely did at the game awards this December or last December he said that all of these celebrities were going to be at the show, but then it was clear that it was all pre-taped and it didn't have the same punch as no. like those celebrities walking out on stage. And I think, uh. you know, back to some of the biggest game reveals that we've gotten over the years at E3. And I remember being in the PlayStation press conference the year that God of War was revealed. Oh, God. And yeah. that was like a thunderous oh. moment, you know, and you can't replace the energy that you get from a lot of members of the media kind of seeing an announcement of that scale live mm -hmm. in person all at the same time that you get like online because there's just so much other chatter happening on the internet and people are obviously so quick with their takedowns and their memes that sometimes that gets overshadowed. But when you have people in person yeah, that can really kind of feel the energy and have the dev development team there with them, um, it's, you know, it's a whole different vibe. And so I actually pulled, this is a few months ago, polled I asked my Twitter followers I said hey you know for me as someone who's done nothing but physically attend E3 since 2010 I said watching these past few digital like how has it felt for you because <laughs> that's what she said because it's like you know for us like it obviously feels much different because we know what it's like to be there in person but people who've only wa who've only ever watched they've seen what it's like when you're filming like a live audience and then you see what it's like when you're just watching a pre-recorded showcase and actually, the majority of the comments I got were we liked it more when it was live in front of a live audience because they said you can just feel the energy and the hype and then that really comes through on the streams. And I just thought that was really interesting because I, I guess I expected folks to be like, eh, it just felt more or less the same to me as it always has. It wasn't anything different. Yeah. So, yeah, man. Yeah, I'm just bummed. And I know, like, not everyone attends E3, so maybe you can't relate to what we're saying. But if you've ever gone to a PAX, you know, or a Comic-Con or something, you know what that energy feels like. And E3 was just, like, the mega load because it feels like e at E3 anything's possible. So it's just, like, a super fun. Yeah, you know. I think any live experience, whether it's theater or a concert, the energy you get from being around people in a crowd is irreplaceable and mm -hmm. i think the pandemic really put that front and center for a lot of people who enjoy live experiences of any kind that we can obviously watch things online or watch dvds or whatnot but it's not the same as going and seeing a performance live in person it doesn't matter what the performance is so you know i hope i hope it comes back i hope it comes back with press conferences i hope the publishers see the value in the marketing and the publicity that they get from them and continue to do them will it ever be the same i don't think so i think it's absolutely going to be different but we'll see you know what their new focus is and hopefully it can be a new cool thing that is better than it was i mean there was always room for improvement that's so. true i want another resident evil announcement next to you <sighs> That gift, though, is so good. Ah, oh, so good. That's like your best work. Ah. Oh.
It probably is. I feel like I, I lose so much of press conferences now because I'm trying to recapture that gif. I'm like watching you for a good reacts. And it's like, I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to get that again. I don't like, know. It'll take a very special game for that to happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Green Up Time remake. Boom. Oh, Done. God. Oh, All right. Oh. <laughs> Use a simmer on that for a second. Uh, moving on to our next story. Bandai Namco may collaborate with another American fantasy novelist after George R.R. R. Martin. So this story got linked to me by so many people this week on Twitter because as I've talked about in the show many times, I am a big stan of Brandon Sanderson, who is the author of the popular Mistborn series and the Stormlight Archives, among many other novels. And according to PC Gamer, the continuation conclusion of The Wheel of Time. Oh, sorry. (laughs) That was the wrong I, I put that sentence together wrong. Um, so <laughs> he, of course, was the author of the conclusion and continuation of The Wheel of Time. I, it's funny. I, like, went angry fantasy. Let me have an aside here for a second. Okay, okay, I okay. went angry fantasy nerd um, on some of the people responding to IGN's tweet about this because a lot of them were trying to, well, actually, that Brandon Sanderson didn't write The Wheel of Time. And I was like, excuse me. Excuse me, dum dums. Oh. Brandon Sanderson absolutely wrote the Wheel of Time. He did not create the Wheel of Time. Robert Jordan obviously created it and wrote the majority of the series, but Brandon Sanderson absolutely co-wrote and then finished the franchise. So he wrote the Wheel of Time. Um, <laughs> and John's like, "Why don't you like r- write in there and say that?" I go because they're not my followers; they're IGN's followers. So someone came into my feed. And said that to me that was my, one of my followers. I absolutely would have an educational moment with them in a very kind way. But I got very, I was like, well, listen here, sirs. Yes, he did. Um, anyway, it's one of those Still moments good. where you want to tweet and then you don't and you're glad you didn't. You, yeah, um, you delete it. Yeah, I feel you. Exactly. Well, so the story, ladies and gents, let me get to the actual news, <laughs> is that allegedly he's pursuing a project with the Elden Ring publisher Bandai Namco. So... Let me be clear here. This does not state that he is pursuing the project with From Software. It says that he is pursuing it with Bandai Namco, which I think is an important distinction to make. Mm -hmm. Um, On a recent episode of Sanderson's stream, the author received a promo box from Bandai Namco, including a map of the lands between, a cloak, a wooden icon of the late game boss, and de facto Elden Ring mascot, Melina, Millennia? Melania? I don't know how to say her name. Um, As well as an unsharpened broadsword. While Sanderson did not read the letter aloud, when asked about its contents by a co-host, he replied, they are interested in perhaps doing something together, is what it says, which I am as well. So Sanderson had previously publicly complained about being passed (laughs) over for collaboration with Fun Software in favor of George R. R. Martin, asserting that he has more personal connection to his games <laughs> as well as more knowledge of video games in general. So wow. I did not know that, but I'm here for Sanderson throwing George R. R. Martin under the bus. <laughs> I'm all about it, because in my book, Sanderson is a superior author in every single way. <laughs> go ahead and at me. Let's go. I will fight you on it. Let's go. Oh, I like um, it. She's fired up. Yes. You know what? Somebody was like, Andrea, go off when Brittany was going off on Pokemon or Yakuza or oh, yeah. whatever. And I was like, this is this is my moment, Brittany. 
Um, <laughs> it seems to be water under the bridge for Sanderson, though, as he spoke positively of FromSoft and Bandai Namco's choice to work with Martin in this recent episode of his stream. Sanderson's previous work on graphic novels like White Sand and Dark One, coupled with Bandai Namco's desire to build up the setting and success of previous comic book adaptations of Dark Souls 2 and Bloodborne, all leave this a potentially exciting route. So I had tweeted that I was conflicted about this. And but, I'm not yeah. sure like which part conflicts me more. And before I go into the details, I do want to uh, shout out D-Pain here who wrote in and said, hey, what's good crew? With the announcement that Bandai Namco wants to work with Brandon Sanderson, do you feel George R.R. R. Martin's influence in Elden Ring? I'm enjoying the game, but the story seems so buried in one-off conversations that I find it hard to follow and see George R.R. R. Martin's influence. So... Um, just as an aside, we talked about this with Alexa Ray Correa when she was on the show. As a narrative designer, I was like, hey, do you think that people are actually appreciating that he, that George was involved in the making of this game and that maybe it brought people to the table? And she said, yes, just the name association, I think, is enough to bring people to the game to buy it. But I'm with you, D-Pain, that I don't see it, but I also haven't spent very much time in From Software games, so I wouldn't be able to tell you what feels like it's from software's narrative touch and what feels like it's George R. R. Martin's. But I will say that Martin as an author is definitely more of like a dark and twisty kind of guy. And he deals with darker themes overall. And he's got some really fucked up things that happen in his writing, things that are not great. And I would say that that's why I'm really conflicted about Sanderson saying that he wants to adapt some of his work because I think at the end of the day, though there are some dark and twisty things that happen in Sanderson's novels, they're still hero stories that almost always have a happy ending, like a ride off into the sunset moment. And they're hopeful is the word that a lot of people come back to when they try to categorize Sanderson's fantasy work. It's like hopeful that you really, like some of the main characters go through some really dark shit and like bad sad things happen but that the thread of hope is still there very Tolkien in that way and that to me is what didn't feel like it really jived with from software as a developer because gotta say Dark Souls and Bloodborne and even Elden Ring don't feel real hopeful uh, <laughs> as far as storytelling goes it feels like more dark and twisty than anything and that's why I was like, oh, I don't know if I like this. And not to mention, <laughs> as we discussed with Isla last week, the narrative storytelling style of From Software just doesn't fit with the deep, amazing, intricate narrative and personal relationships and interconnected storylines that Sanderson is so expertly good at weaving. And so I was like, oh, I just, uh, I don't like it. I mean, I obviously like that From Software is having a moment with Elden Ring, but I don't think anybody is saying that Elden Ring is like the narrative game of the year. Well, I guess I'm sure there are people out there uh, yeah, saying it. Yeah, Don't come for me, Souls Bros. Um, but I just don't think that they mesh well together, to use a clueless quote. Um, I just think that there's better there's better people out there that I think could do Sanderson's work justice but if Sanderson wants to work with them all right well I feel like we haven't had a good Andrea rant a long time and I am just loving every fucking second of this (laughs) I'm basking in it baby girl keep it coming on my face I just also like the combat style of from software games 
just doesn't feel like Mistborn. I mean, the 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 traversal in Elden Ring is clunky as fuck. Like, and I talk about this all the time, and people are people come come at me for that too. I'm like, you can't argue. It's clunky. I made a big joke when I was playing with Maria and Beasley the other day about how how clunky it is for me to like rung 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 up up and down the ladder system in Elden Ring. I'm like, what is this game from 2003? What the fuck is this? And Mistborn is all about traversal. It's got this amazing traversal mechanic. I think a, a developer that could really take the Mistborn series and do it justice is Sucker Punch. Knowing what they did with the infamous series and the amazing open world of Ghost of Tsushima and how they can tell narrative stories both through dialogue and cutscene but also through world building, I feel like that's like... Oh, that'd be a really great developer to be able to tackle this because if they don't nail the traversal in Mistborn, so Brittany, just like real quick. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just tell you slightly about what the Mistborn series is okay. about. So there's this whole magic, well, I'm going to use magic in big air quotes here. So there's this magic system called Allomancy in the Mistborn series where you can take different types of metals and they have like magical abilities. And the lead characters use different types of coins to essentially pull and pull them, pull and push themselves through the air in order to fly. Like literally fly through the air using like this pulley system. And the way that it's described is just really like it's wonderful and fantastical. And Sanderson is just so good at building these intricate systems within his stories. And I think in order to really do that justice, you need a developer that's good at moving characters through open worlds and making it feel fluid and wonderful. And from software is just not that studio. Okay, that's fair. That's okay. I fuck with it, girl. This is I am here for you. I'm here to smile and nod and give you all the support you need. I'm (laughs) here to encourage you. Okay, so before we took deep pain by you a drink, uh, question. You were about to talk about why you're conflicted. Now, have you been talking about that already? Yes. And I. So this is why I'm conflicted. So I'm conflicted because I want to support one of my all-time favorite authors and his desire to work with. Bandai Namco. And I had not heard the story that he was mad that he got passed over to work on Elden Ring. (laughs) Um, I do think he would be amazing at it. And I think that I would love to see him work on somebody else's IP and put his Sandersonification on it. Mm -hmm. But this is not what that story really is. Well, I guess I maybe, maybe I'm drawing too many conclusions. Maybe I'm just assuming that it's Mistborn and it's not actually going to be Mistborn. Maybe it'll be a brand new IP. I feel like that could be, that could be good. If he decides he wants to do something completely not involved in any of his other stories, Mm. then we could get something interesting. So bring him on as like a writer or something. Well, he did. So he's got a Kickstarter, which I think is up in just a couple of days. That is four original works that oh. are brand new. I think they're still in the Cosmere, which is his expanded universe where a lot of his stories all kind of live in the same universe together. But I don't know. I just... So this here's a little, like, uh, opinion from the author of the story on PC Gamer. And the author is Ted Litchfield. Okay. This is Ted's take on it. 
Ted says, there's no guarantee that these early communications could result in a collaboration between Sanderson and Bandai, but such a relationship could go in any number of directions, not just a game. My first thought was a graphic novel set in the lands between. Bandai Namco previously indicated it would, deve- it would quote, develop Elden Ring not only as a game, but also in a variety of other areas in a press release from the summer of 2021. Okay, that's cool. Graphic novel. Boom. Done. Go okay, for it. So, so it's like, so not necessarily a video game because you're worried that the video game and Sanderson's writing style just wouldn't mesh very well together in the from software type of game realm. Yeah, I, I'm understand. Okay, I yeah. fuck with you. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, okay, okay. And let me be clear. This is me fangirling out right now. This is not at all based in facts. This is not based in, you know, Sanderson saying, I'm going to make a video game or this. This is me going, you know what? I'm going to take this stupid nerdy thing that I'm into and completely take it down this dark and twisty path that it may never go down. Um, Did you hear my Zelda rant last last week (laughs) for like 20 minutes? That's exactly what I did. (laughs) Oh, my God. I got one picture. Here's a million theories. That's what you do. Yeah. I think this theory from Ted, right? Um, Mm -hmm. is much more realistic. I think I just like the idea that I can fantasize about a Mistborn game because I feel like that that franchise out of all of his that he's created would be, to me, the most easy to adapt to video game. I think a lot of people obviously are hoping for like a Stormlight Archive game, which we've seen a couple and they're not good. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's because that world is just too big and too difficult for a developer to tackle in a, a way that will do it justice. So I think that, yeah, that's what I think. I already told you what I think. Stop me, Brittany. Let's no, <laughs> I love this. Listen, you never go on these fangirl type of like Andrea rants. It's always me fucking deep diving and dissecting every little fucking detail in a Zelda <laughs> screenshot. So this or a Resident Evil screenshot. So this has been lovely. I'm here to support oh, you, and I'm always you. down for these types of conversations. I feel like I just know that someone's going to take what I said completely out of context and then they're going to post about it and then I'm going to have to walk everything back and this is why I don't go on rants. No, fuck it. No, you don't have to do shit. No, <laughs> screw them. If they don't want to have an imagination, then go kick rocks. Yeah, jackass. kick rocks, kick rocks. Um, all right, let's move on, shall we? have just a couple other quick news bits. Um, in case you missed it, Ubisoft has announced a Rainbow Six mobile game. It's a new game that brings the core gameplay of R6 Siege to mobile devices. I think that this is a unsurprising next step in the success of R6 as a franchise. I think Rainbow Six's development has been incredible to keep going this long. We've seen Call of Duty have wild success, Fortnite have wild success in the mobile arena. So we'll see uh, We'll see how it goes. Um, and then Britt, I pulled this one just for you. Thank you. Yes, this is about my time at Sandrock, the follow-up to my time at Porsche. So yeah, it's coming to Steam and Epic Games Store on May 26th. And when I first saw this, I didn't see the Steam and Epic Games Store spot part of it. And I got so fucking excited, Andrea. I was oh, like, yeah, oh, the Room early Factory access part 5. Of it. Oh, yeah. I was like, oh, my God, Room Factory 5. <laughs> and now I get this. And oh, my God, I, I couldn't handle it. Um, but yeah, so pretty much it's just a follow up to my time at Porsche, which is the game I spent so much time in because it's brick crack is basically what it is. But if I remember correctly, this game isn't coming to consoles, I think, for at least another year, maybe two. Yeah, it's a while. 
it's a while, but I'm looking at some footage of it right now, and it, it looks way better than Porsche in terms of, like, from a technical perspective and a graphical perspective. And, uh, yeah, like, great. This gives me something to live for after I'm done with Rune Factory 5. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just need more people to bang and more towns to save and more things to craft all day, every day. Let's go organization. You have 15 <laughs> fucking crates. Why do I have so many crates? Why can't you just let me have one permanent crate where I just put everything in and all of a sudden, poof, it's magical. It appears in another crate halfway across town. Why do I have to transfer everything to and from? I don't know. Fix your shit. I love your game. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. Universal wow. inventory. All stash all the time. Yeah, that must have been deep down there. I, I don't know where that came from. We but. all we all relate. We all know where it came from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and in case you missed it, Epic launched Unreal Engine 5. So we've been talking about Unreal Engine and a bunch of games that have mentioned it. Obviously, we talked about it when The Witcher announced that they're having the next game in development. And obviously, Tomb Raider mentioned it in the state of Unreal. But after nearly two years, it was uh, it, after it was first announced, of course, this week, it is now live. And it happened, of course, and as that. part of that State of Unreal event that happened earlier this week. Um, I'm not going to go through all the engine changes, but it's fancier, shinier. You can it's have more water and lighting and effects and all kinds of things. More hair. More hair. If you haven't played the Matrix Awakens, which is that tech demo, I think it's still available. I it don't is. think they took that. Okay, yeah. Check it out. That'll give you a good taste of what Unreal Engine 5 can do. Wow. I was very impressed when I played that. It was uh, it was very, very realistic. And all I could think about, Andrea, and this is not going to surprise you in the least, is like, what if Yakuza looked like this? Ooh. And I could walk around Kamarocho. You play a game because it, the demo takes place in the city, right? And so you're like walking around and you're like, oh, God. And you just think about all my husbandos, what they would look like. You know, it would be wonderful. Yeah. It would just be the I best. I think that your husband yeah. should have the most glorious hair possible. Thank you. But I think what's exciting about this is, I mean, I don't, I'm, I've never known the techie side of shit. Like it just, I've tried, I've, I've tried, it just doesn't stick in my brain. Like I could never tell you what any part of a PC does. I just couldn't do it. I don't know why. It's just like a fault up in my brain folds. Um, but what I do know is that engines are the things that build the games and they make them look nice and pretty and shiny. And that's really where you get all those fancy new like leaps forward when you really can see a game and how impressive like these hardware, this hardware can really, how's how the hardware can support, you know, an engine like this. And so when I was playing The Matrix Awakens and I was watching and walking around, I was like, holy shit. Like, you know, granted, it's just a tech demo. It doesn't mean all games are going to look that way, especially once you have so many moving parts and you actually like build a narrative around it. Anyway, um, that to me is what's so exciting. It's like, wow, like this is the future. Look how impressed. Because I remember when the N64 came out and I was like, hot damn, graphics are never going to get any better than this. Oh, yes. You so know? good. So yeah. Good. And now you're looking at this and you're like, fuck. So anyway, here's just a quick list of notable games that are using Unreal Engine. You got Arc 2, Dragon Quest 13, The Flames of Fate, which I am, oh, out of all of these, this is probably like the one I'm well, besides like Witcher, most excited about because it sounds like they're going to be going down like a darker theme with Dragon Quest, which I'm all about. Let's fuck some shit up. Let's go. Fortnite, you got Redfall, which is Bethesda's new action adventure. You got Sinua's Saga, Hellblade 2, Untitled Layers of Fear game, Untitled Witcher game, Untitled Gears of War game, and the next Tomb Raider. So they're going to be pretty. Yeah. All the so pretty. pretty games. Ah. The future is here or something. I'm ready. I don't know. I'm yeah, ready for sounds, it. Let's go. It sounded good. Yeah. Speaking of games, 
This is normally where we would pivot and be like, all right, that's it for the news. Let's talk about what we've been playing. But ladies and gentlemen, Brittany and I have been a little busy this last week and haven't gotten to get as much hands-on time as we would like to talk about what we've been playing. And with so much news this week, we were like, well, do we just talk about what we've been watching or do we punt to next week? But I do have a copy of Lego Star Wars, The Skywalker Saga. Thank you, Warner Brothers, for sending that over. I tweeted about the Razor Crest Lego set that they sent. And I'm very Mm. excited to check that game out because I've been a big fan of TT games for a long time and loved other games in the Lego franchise. So... Hopefully, I'll have more to talk about that next week. Um, But you've been watching more Halo. Yeah, I watched the second episode of Halo, and it's getting weird. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Weirder and weirder. I wish that Chief would just keep his helmet on most of the time. Wait, he's taking it off again? It's off so much. No, come on. That's weird. You know, it's weird because the first episode I felt like was – fan service in a in a good way. I mean, you know, I liked it. I talked about it last week. You know, you had all the little nods to the game and it felt very Master Chiefy and felt very Halo-y in its own in its own way, but in a good way. Right. Um this episode it's just going a bunch of weird places. Um I can see like the setup for what they're going for, but even me who's like I just like TV casually and shows casually and like this could probably be a lot better if they would do this or they would do that or like why is Chief doing this? They're trying to humanize Chief too much and I can't help but think it's because in the, you know all the Halo games like Chief if you like Chief, you think Chief is a fascinating character. But there's a lot of folks out there who think Chief is boring as hell cuz think about it, he always has his helmet on, there's no facial expressions. Right. I think he's a witty motherfucker and I I like I like that. And I think what the game really relies on is that relationship between him and Cortana. And Cortana isn't in the series yet. So what you have then is I feel like they have to take his helmet off because who the fuck is going to care about this big dude, you know, this big Spartan, if you can't see his face? Maybe that's like yeah. what the producers thought. I don't know. Either way, um, I'm still going to keep watching it. You know, we Jason and I pour a nice tall fat glass of whiskey and then we just drink it and watch the watch it. And we had to watch all the commercials, too, which I'm just not used to because I'm spoiled. Hmm. Um it's yeah. weird because there's been there's been several examples of TV and movies that do mask characters well, and Chief is a mask character that they're deliberately unmasking excessively. It sounds like I mean I already told you I was uncomfortable with how much I saw his face in the first episode. <laughs> I think there's nothing yeah. wrong with showing his face, but as you mentioned, like his helmet should be on. Even it with the Mandalorian, be, yeah. like you know, like the Mandalorian's in a mask, like pretty much the entire series um there's just like a couple quick moments that narratively make sense you know for when he's not but like i think about even a movie like v for vendetta where v as the title character is in a mask literally the whole time there's Mm. like one flashback sequence but you never actually see v's face like v's literally like masked the whole movie and you care about that character a lot that character does really cool things narratively. So I think that there's absolutely ways that they could have done it. And I'm disappointed to hear that it seems like they're taking a lazy way out. Yeah. I know that word is a little bit maybe more charged than I want it to be. And I'm not insinuating that the production is lazy. I just think the storytelling doesn't feel like it's earned. 
Yeah, it, it's that thing of if it's not broke, don't fix it. And there's a reason Halo's captured the hearts of kajillions of people around the world. It's like yeah. you do have Chief and you do have Cortana and their dynamic is just like so fun and it works so well. So I'm just really puzzled as to why they didn't just start with that. And then yeah. the audience can get to know Halo, or Chief and Cortana. But, you know, people have their own ways of doing shit. So I'm just in it for the fun, for the ride. But okay. uh, we'll see. Well, yeah. I, I hope that it turns a corner for you. Thanks, Andrea. Because I know I that you're excited. And I know that a lot of other people are excited. And I think mm-hmm. we need more video game properties on TV. So I hope it turns a corner and does well and sticks around. So I'll check it out. Um, but I've been watching Moon Knight, the new Disney Plus series no. with Oscar Isaac, who, it, it, like, I'm going to admit it. The first episode, I left confused. I have to rewatch it. Moon it's fast paced and it's weird. And a lot of things are happening that I am assuming is going to get explained in these subsequent episodes. I told John, I go, this feels like a WandaVision moment where I need to just binge all of the episodes at once and not watch them week to week. And he's like, yeah, you'll probably like it better. And I was like, okay, I'll just wait and then I'll I'll binge watch it so but I'm uh, intrigued so huh, lots of good TV out there everybody yeah. and that's gonna do it for our show for this week thank you everybody for joining us and for listening to my weird rant and for sharing our <laughs> sadness about E3 being cancelled and excitement about new games that are coming we love that you guys are part of our show. If you guys want to ever tweet to us or email us, we would love to hear from you. What's Good underscore games is our Twitter account and contact at What's Good Games is the easy way to email us or you can also join our Discord as well. Discord.gg slash What's Good Games. All right, everybody. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. Bye.